Good morning, Vietnam. Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll. Time to rock it for the Delta and the DMZ. Is that me or does that sound like an Elvis Presley movie? Viva Dang or Viva Da Dang? Da Dang me, Da Dang me. Why don't they get a rope and hang me? Is it a little too early for being that loud? Hey, it's too late. It's 0600. What's the O stand for? Oh my God, it's early. Welcome to the Kitmad Pod, the fifth biggest sports podcast in Vietnam. Welcome back to the Kitmad Pod. Joining us this week, as usual, we have Tom, the shirt fan. Hello, everyone. How is everyone? I'm very well. Thank you for asking. It's very nice of you, and I'm, I'm sure the listeners are well too. We're also joined this week by two friends of the pod. We have Mike at Footy Shirts on Twitter. How are you, Mike? You well? I'm good. Good. You? Tremendous. Thank you very much. And second friend of the pod, we have Steve Hooper, the Swindon Town kit man. How are you, Steve? Yeah, good. Yourselves? I think we're all very well. Without further ado, let's kick off this week's news. Two big news items this week. Adidas takes centre stage with their women's Euro 2022 shirt releases and a godlike grail hits the market. Mike, so the Women's European Championships is coming up and this week you saw some nice designs from Adidas. Want to tell us a bit more? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we saw a handful of them drop today. A couple of them stick out a bit more than the others. It seems to largely be they, they've gone down a template route with it. Obviously not always bad. I, I do think all the kits are, are good, but they don't seem to have got the same bespoke treatment that they did for, for the last major tournament. I'd say that the standouts are probably the Germany home and away. With the template they've used, it just seems to be they, you know, the colours of the Germany kit work work best with it. There's a couple of different variations. There seems to be a round neck collar or more like, the, you know, the Condivo template that they had, you know, a collar that matches up a little bit more to that. And today, yeah, we saw the Germany, Spain, Belgium, Sweden and Northern Ireland kits drop. And yeah, I, personally, I think they're all really good. As I say, not not as bespoke as we've seen previously, but I don't know. I think it all comes down to whether you're a template man or not, as to whether or not you like them. But me, they're a big yes from me. I have to say, Mike, I'm really bloody surprised you went for the Germany kits as your favourite. Didn't see that one come in at all. Um, I think, actually, I know what you're saying, that they do seem to lack a little bit of the flair of some of those previous uh, women's kits we saw. Like, we, we had the England Rose kit, which I know was really popular. But I do like, did anyone see the touches on the Sweden kit, which I thought were really cool? Did you? I see you nodding, Adrian. Did you see those? Yeah, amazing. Um, the team's strengths and well weaknesses, didn't they? Sewn into yeah. the uh, the back of the collar. So they listed the players and then listed their weaknesses and how to beat them. Is that right? So it was yeah, it was how to beat Sweden. And I think this is great because can you imagine if they did this for every every shirt or every team shirt, the Arsenal tags would be absolutely huge, full of their weaknesses. It would be amazing. <laughs> Were the instructions actually any good, or was it like IKEA furniture? <laughs> yeah, you couldn't, couldn't put it together myself. <laughs> Steve, have you seen them? You got any favourites amongst uh, the yeah, places? I, had a look. I quite like the Northern Ireland one, to be honest. I just I like a green kit, to be honest with you. It's probably my favourite colour on a kit. So yeah, quite nice. No, smart. Nice, nice round neck collar on that one. I think standout yeah. for me was probably another of the round neck collars was the Belgium away. I really like that. I know uh, black and gold's probably been done to death over the last year or two and, and will be next year, I think, with Arsenal as well. But um, I really like that one. Yeah, I think about the Belgium ones are quite interesting because obviously there's a black kit and there was a yellow kit that dropped um, and obviously no no red. So I've got to admit, when I was looking at it, it took me a second to click which was the home and, and which was the away. But 
they, they, yeah, I do think that as a set, those two do look really good. But like I say, I know I said the Germany are my favourites, but if I had to pick one that was a standout, I think it would probably be the Germany away. They've gone to that that Germany green that we know, sort of like the emerald green with the pattern that, that, that they've put in that template. It looks particularly good as well, which obviously they've then used through to the, the Belgium. And, and yeah, and the Northern Ireland one, I think it's just is really clean, really, really good kit. Yeah, very nice set of releases. And anybody seen the leaked England shirt? Tell me more. I've seen the kind of iridescent badge. Is it is that the correct terminology? But it, it does seem to have what would be a, a, a football badge after dark by some corners of Twitter. It, it does look quite cool, but is it just a gimmick? You know, should a, a national team badge be messed with? I'm not sure. Steve, in layman's terms, it's an oily shiny if it was a marble. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw a picture of the badge. And I thought, surely that's not real. Looks like something you'd buy, you'd get if you bought a really cheap shirt somewhere. No. Yeah, I, I, it's, I've seen the leaks and I, I don't dislike it, but I think my problem is I, I think that there's something sacred about the England home shirt, whether it's the men's or, or the women's team. And I, I like experimenting with your ways or, or if we had thirds, whatever. But I do, I do think I'd kind of err on the side of caution with the home shirt. I prefer a, a traditional badge to be there rather than that one. But hey, well, I've not, we've not seen the official images yet, have we? So you never know. You never know. We will err on the side of caution and uh, make no further comment until that shirt's officially released. <laughs> Moving on then, very, very rare and iconic shirt has hit the market for sale this week, Tom. It's going on sale next week, I think. But um, tell us a bit more about that. It's the king of eBay auctions. And it is going to be an auction, although not on eBay. It's going to go through Sotheby's, which, of course, are the high-end auctioneer. And they are going to be auctioning off Diego Maradona's shirt that he wore when he managed to out-jump Peter Shilton and, and score the hand of God goal. I don't know how he did it, but anyway. It's going on open market for the first time. Steve Hodge, who, who picked up the shirt after the, the game in 1986, is uh, finally letting go of it after. I think he said he would never sell it, but an estimate of £4 million is sure to budge even the strongest of results. So anyone put in a bid in for that one? Well, uh, to, to be honest with you, I'm not really a match-worn collector, but I feel like a Maradona shirt might be one of the very few that would actually fit me. But uh, I, I think it might just be out of my price range to get started in the match-worn field, if I'm honest. Beauty, though, wouldn't I? Did only wear that shirt once as well, did I read somewhere? Was that shirt I, only worn one time? I think I saw online that it was kind of specced up just for that game, I think. So it was like a template shirt that had the, the, the Argentina badges put on it. I think I read that on Sotheby's on their listing but i've not heard that before i have to admit yeah i've, I've heard the story it's, it's something to do with the, the initial shirts that they were given they, they didn't like the fabric of it it was something to do with either they, they felt it was too hot too clingy too too sweaty whatever it was so apparently the the argentina team actually according to what i've read asked for a new kit to be supplied with a better material and then the, yeah that's when these ones are going along so the mad thing about it if that's true is that shirt within the space of probably a couple of days went from just being a template shirt on a shelf somewhere to being the most valuable football shirt of all time. It's crazy. Mm. Incredible stuff. And just a word of warning from experience, anybody who buys from Subbies, you do have to pay VAT on top of the price as well. Speaking of which, though, what is the most you've ever spent on a football shirt? Where should we? Who wants to go first? Everybody's worried about our last listen to this. Come on, Mike. <laughs> no, I'll go. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that I've got a wife who understands this crazy thing we do with football shirts. So just thinking about, I think the most expensive one I've bought was my, the Bayern Munich anniversary 
the uh, 89.90 one. And off the top of my head, I think I paid just about 240 quid with it, including delivery, which is, you know, I don't spend that much on a shirt, you know, every month. It's, it's, it's a crazy amount of money, but every now and again, one comes along and if you want it, you've either got to pay it or you don't get that shirt. And that's one of those ones I knew if I wanted it, I got a fork out for it. So I did. Tom, same question. Keep him quiet so, there. I'm a bit shy because I know the shirt I have will not be as good as some of the ones that Steve has. I know he's got that Kevin De Bruyne Man City shirt and, you know, he, he he's very lucky to have that. And I, I've got a player far less impressive in his pedigree that I paid an eye-water in amount for a match one of uh, Salomon Kalou. So I paid £400 for that shirt. It was off of one of the very big, well-known sellers, which I guess you pay the surplus for knowing that it's authentic. But I got that because it was it was the year Chelsea won the Champions League in 2012. And it's a Champions League match-worn shirt. And I was at the game. So like Mike says, it's, it's not a, a common occurrence, but it was a little treat for myself, I guess. Sounds wonderful. Steve, I guess you get all your shirts for free, do you? <laughs> uh, I've I got to say, I don't think I've ever play, paid over retail price a shirt and any that I've got now have obviously come through the job in the last three three and a half years so yeah no nothing more than sort of 50 60 quid maybe I'm just wondering why I'm not able to cut Steve off at this moment I'm really trying but it's not working (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) I think that draws uh, a conclusion to the news as we all go and um, console ourselves whoa what about our esteemed host (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I've got to be honest. I can't. I can't remember um, off the top of my head what I've, what I've, have or haven't spent on a shirt. I'm, just, I'm sure it doesn't compare. Tom, actually, not as much as you. Okay. To be fair, I sold a hell of a lot of shirts to fund it, so it was all paid for out of shirts that I sold. If that makes it slightly better in my own conscience. Well, as long as you can sleep tonight. Right. Let's move on. This week, we are featuring one of the most iconic templates in football shirt history, the Nike T90s. And we thought, who better to bring onto the pod to chat about these shirts than Tom from the Shirt Union, who we know has got a vast collection of T90 shirts. Welcome, Tom. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me on. So T90s particularly, what, what drew you to them and why did you cut them? Yeah, I mean, for me, let's take it back really to the summer of 2004. And Nike at the time were very good with some of their TV adverts. For me, the one of the classic ones alongside the cage, but this one was Ole. And I think it starts with Figo in the tunnel, Portugal versus Brazil, lined up in the tunnel, ready to head out into the big stage. Figo's got the ball at his feet, drops it down on the floor, nutmegs Ronaldo and says, Ole, the, obviously the, the Brazilian Ronaldo. And then from there, I think he does a little backflick, something like that, megs him again. And it's game on. And the two teams go toe-to-toe in the tunnel, almost like street football, round the back of the stadium. It goes back onto the ground. Roberto Carlos manages to shoulder barge a Portuguese player into the mascot, back into the stands again. Little tippy-tappy football. It's come off the rails. It's gone out the stadium. Ruud van Nistelrooy out of anywhere's chested the ball, kneed it, pinged it right back into the stadium. And it's game on again. It finally culminates in Ronaldinho, who's, I guess, the star of the show at, at that particular point, pulling off his signature flip-flap move to beat the Portuguese player. But the referees have none of it. There's a game to play. So the referees come in, 
He slide tackled Ronaldinho and taken him down and restored some order to the game. Scene cuts, and it's your Portuguese and Brazilian players lined up with various cuts and bruises and a little bit of blood running from the nose. But for me at that time, I think I was like 17. So I'd already been captivated by football since the 90s. I think like 95, 96, 94, 95 was my first proper season when I started to follow football. This summer I was 17. And it was the first time I watched the Euros, but like in a, in a bar with all of my friends and stuff. So there's a lot tied around that and that sort of summer. And we, I think we got to the, was it the quarters and we went out against Portugal and all, you know, the, and all the rest of it. At that age, although we, we had like lots of computer games and all the rest of it, I, me and my group of friends used to spend a lot of our summer out playing football. And we just used to try to imitate all the tricks that we've seen. So like the Ronaldinho flip-flap, we're trying that in the park, we're trying that with headers and volleys, trying the little flicks and stuff. We couldn't do it, but we tried. And then it's the effort that counts, right? But that for me is what sort of sparked it all off because it all sort of centres around that and it sort of centres around that nostalgia. Big fan of the kits and designs and how they look, but I'm also aware that they're probably not like the best designs ever. And there are a lot more out there that have got a lot more heritage and legacy and sort of tie into the club's history or the cities that they're with. And these don't particularly have that. What they have for me is a key nostalgic reference point back from 2004. I mean, I, I'm so glad that you brought up the advert because, yeah, I, I was 15 when these shirts came out and you had all the, the night marketing around it. And like you said, I think Nike, they just managed to tap into the psyche of every adolescent boy up and down, well, all over the world because they really created this sense of each country and club in their stable having like an icon or like a hero player. And like you said, you had Ronaldinho at Barcelona and Brazil was packed full of them. Then you had like your Figo. And I mean, I'm, I'm wearing the Inter Milan one, the T9 shirt, 2004-5. I've got Christian Vieri on the back and I can see in, in the background of, of Tom's, Cam here, he's got Atletico Madrid, and I think you had Torres there at the time. And, you know, they really tapped into something, creating these iconic players. And like you said, it's synonymous with growing up in that era, and, and these shirts are real reminders of all that. Yeah, like, like you said, I think that w- one of the key things with the T90s, especially around the sort of like the 2004, because it peaked then. So I there was there was a template before, which I think they called the T90, didn't they? But it, it, it's, it was never as popular as the template. But I think the key with it is definitely the marketing that went with it. Because, I mean, for me, I would say that sort of like era of football was probably, if I'm honest with you, I was least into football at that time in my life. I was a little bit older than, than you guys have just said. So I think I, I, I know there's a little stage where I kind of fell out of love with football a little bit. But I still remember all of that marketing that went with it, all of those TV ads, all that campaign. And and it even ties in with like, it makes you think of all that sort of like FIFA Street stuff that was going on as well. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it all just, I, I remember like the Nike balls with the Scorpions on and things like that. And I know it might not necessarily been the same campaign but it all kind of tied in and it all led on and I think that not even just on the pitch like like you say they, they might not even have the most sort of like prestige that go with them when it comes to the actual football but off the pitch you can see why they're so appealing because the marketing that went with it just absolutely appeals to to everybody that likes football like you say mainly because of this whole icon status of single players so I can understand why anybody would really get into the template I mean, I bet there's not one of us that didn't have a pair of those T90 Astros as well. Did used to have a pair. Yeah. Um, the, I weren't Astros, they were studs. 
but I've de- and I'm not going to lie, I've definitely been looking at getting another pair as well. <laughs> but they're very expensive now. <laughs> so for anybody who's not seen, and I can't believe there is anybody out there, but for anybody who's not seen a T90 template, Tom, do you just want to paint a visual characteristic? You know, what is what are the the main points that make a T90 a T90? Yeah, definitely. So I think there's probably a handful of things that are, that are quite iconic about it. I'll start with the piping that starts on the top of the shoulders, runs sort of across the shoulders and then down either side. And that's typically in an accent colour um, that offsets the main body. And there's two variants to that piping. One version is that it goes straight down to the bottom of the hem and the other is that it closes off sort of a just below the um just below the belly i guess the second part is that the piping then heads around to the back and quite popular on a lot of them although not not visible on all of them is that it tends to have a contrasting name set so where the name appears on the back it typically has a panel that's a different color to the rest of the shirts so arsenal's home they had a white panel red shirt brazil they had a green panel yellow shirt and their away actually was blue with a with a white panel so really sort of like accentuated and lifted the name set off of the back almost like highlighting profiling the player a little bit and to be honest up to that point I can't specifically remember many other clubs doing it I think there will be some instances I think you could argue maybe I think maybe even Coventry had it in the 90s something sort of similar maybe I could be a bit wrong there other elements that are quite popular is that the the Nike swoosh is uncharacteristically quite high on the shirt so I think previous to this the, the manufacturer logos are probably level with the crest but what we typically see on the t90s is that they're almost up onto the shoulder and other elements include specifically for the international versions uh, the big circled numbers on the front and i think when you look back to the adverts for portugal and, and brazil and then the other international teams that wore them like australia new zealand south korea uh, croatia etc they all had the same very big numbers on the front with the big circles around it there are other elements like familiarities with the collar and maybe the odd um, tick or swoosh sort of thing that sort of flick that sits on the sleeve but those are the handful of key characteristics of the of the t90 2004 shirt it's interesting isn't it like hearing you talk about it and again we all know what the T90 template is, but haven't, admittedly haven't really thought about it in too much detail. But I think it really shows that Nike were trying to kind of promote this American style almost in, in the players as individuals. Like you said, with the, the highlighted name sets, the, the numbers on the front, the big circled numbers. It's like trying to kind of show off these players as, as individuals rather than as, as part of a team. And that goes in line with all the marketing. Like we said, it's, it's interesting. So there are quite a lot of similarities across the template. There are variations as well, aren't there, around the collars and, and things like that. And like you said, sometimes a different type of piping. There were some of the some of the shirts as well were done limited edition, weren't there? There were a few one-offs and things like that. Yeah, there were a couple. I will start with the anti-racism campaign, the stand-up speak-up campaign in 2004, 2005. Now, a couple of instances of these. Other Man United fans and Arsenal fans remember that Arsenal Man United went toe-to-toe and actually they replaced the swoosh with a mini swoosh, but also had stand-up speak-up that sort of covered the patch. And I think it's quite infamous. I think United beat Arsenal that day. And I think there's some good footage of Keane and Vieira going uh, going head-to-head, quite literally. And then... There was also, as part of the Stand Up Speak Up campaign, a friendly between Holland and England that happened. And Holland wore a version of the T90 shirt that was half white and half black. England, uh, coincidentally, in that game wore, I think it's 2004 
red Umbro shirt, which I think everyone finds in charity shops. And underneath the front number had say no to racism. So England were also doing playing their part in the Stand Up Speak Up campaign. Now, these black and white shirts, I think, were only ever made for the games. And they're quite common that you can see them on Depop or eBay, in which case, if you do, be very wary because I think they're probably fakes. Otherwise, you're buying a match-worn or possibly just a player-issue one, in which case, if you ever come across a genuine one, then I think that's money. Other limited edition ones include the, there's a few box versions for some of the international ones, so I managed to pick up one recently for the Holland one. And there's also ones, I think, for South Korea, Portugal, which was Figo, South Korea was Jisung Park, and Brazil was Ronaldo. I think there might have even been a fifth one, but I can't remember what it is. But yeah, and I think they were... Mexico, that one, the, the fifth one, because I remember Scott speaking to, to us about that on the previous pod. And yeah, I think that is the the most limited of the, the box shirts. I think the, the Mexico one, I think it was uh, Rafael Marquez on the back. But yeah, Scott will know that one. Yeah, and I think you're um, right that it'd be the lowest of the limited numbers, because I think even South Korea one's only two and a half thousand and I think that the, the Holland one's 5,000. And I think Portugal and Brazil are also 5,000. So I think the other ones are half that volume. But yeah, that, that those are some of the limited edition variants that you can find out there. It's interesting that, um, that uh, the anti-racism one you were talking about, I've always wondered if they were commercially available because you hear a lot of dips i mean it's one of those things if it ever starts on twitter i just i can't get involved because everybody starts arguing but there are some people that say there were a few that were commercially available there are a lot of people that say there weren't but the reason i asked they got a vested interest in this and my brother's actually got one now he was at the england game where holland wore the shirt so he bought one online immediately after and he swears blind that it was a legit buy and he 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 is convinced the only place he could have bought it from was Nike, you know, because I mean, so obviously it was back back then that, you know, these shirts weren't easy to get hold of, even on fake sites, you know, I mean, most of us probably don't remember buying seeing fakes back then as often, but yeah, he, he bought it within a week of being at that game and he still got it to this day. So it, I've always had this little wonder, I've had a look at it. There's nothing that I immediately think that shirt's fake. It looks legit. He ruined it because he got his own name on the back. But there's nothing. No, wait, 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 because there's nothing a bit of acetone cancel. I've seen this on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so if, if it is legit, I'm going to get it off him and I'm going to attack it with some acetone. But yeah, it's, it's something that I've always been intrigued by and, and, and wondered what the actual true story of it is. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, g- genuinely not too sure. And I think that um, the only thing I've heard is that if you get one, that it'll be, and it's not a fake, is it? it'll be a player issue version. So it might, I, and again, that's only what I've heard and um, without actually speaking with the guys that did it at the time. Cause I can't, I can't remember that I wouldn't know. So when I hear stuff like that, I'm, I'm all ears and more willing to learn. I recently discovered that there are several versions or quite a few versions of the, like the Australia template because of some changes that they had just slight nuances and that they've got a gold home, a green away and then I think they've got a white one but I think there's a couple variances on the gold one but again the, the only variances would have happened because they they were slightly changed for some of their games and but uh, yeah and and there's little bits like that that I've only ever heard by talking to other collectors and other bits and pieces and so it's really interesting to sort of hear all the extra bits that come out of it but personally for me when I've seen the stand-up speak-up ones I've certainly when they're like 35 quid and you can get them in any size I think oh that might not be right <laughs> 
I have to say, Tom, we, we see your, your shirts and, and your T90 collection on Twitter and they're always great just to see the, the, the amount of different versions of this template there are. But do you have any particular favourites at all? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of mine, uh, uh, a couple of uh, favourites. International, there are two that sort of stand out for me. One is the Portugal home, again, referencing the TV advert. And also because there is a pattern that sits within it. So I'm currently wearing the away version of it. But there's a very slight pattern within it that resembles the, the crest that runs all the way through, which I really like. And the other one is the Croatia one, just because I love how the red checks sit against the back and then the gold piping sort of lifts off the uh, lifts off the shirt. Club-wise, I don't own it, but the one I'd really like is the Inter Milan third shirt. It's obviously based on the 97-98 Umbro version. It was also in the similar style that there was the third shirt last season for Inter Milan as well. And that just looks great. And is also iconic Adriano. Mm. Whenever his birthday's up, it's always that he's usually almost always guaranteed to be in one of the 2004, 2005 templates because that was peak Adriano at that time. Someone's got to um, say it. Someone's got to say the stat. He's been mentioned. We can't anger the gods. Shot power 99. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get it out. <laughs> I mean, that's my, that is my personal favourite. And funnily enough, I was watching um, Talking Kit last night and they did their full kit rankers on the T90 templates and that came out top of the shops. So I think it nearly got a maximum score. So very common favourite amongst there. But it's, um, yeah, for me, it's one of, one of, the, one of the greatest shirts. That. I, got, I got a favourite probably that I don't think anybody asked. Tom will be surprised today. It's a German one, but uh, the Berlin had one. And it is, it's, it's my favourite of all of them. I've never picked it up. But it's kind of almost, it, it's the away with the sort of like the almost Monaco style cut through the body. Yeah. Um, it, it's a stunning looking kit. I've just, I've just never, ever got around to looking for it because I, the, the I love the template and I love T90. I, I, I'm not one of the, the, the guys that would argue against templating because I think it's brilliant. When we look back over you know, the last four decades of football shirts, the biggest ones are all templates. It's, it's that simple for me and it's not a bad thing. And I love the T90 as a template. My biggest issue is that what everybody's will be is that the material is so uncomfortable to wear. And I, I try to only buy shirts that I wear. So I have had a couple in the past that have gone back out the door. So I only own two now, to be honest, which is a, a Brazil Roberto Carlos one and the Inter Milan one. But if I was going to pick another one up, it would definitely be that Herd Berlin because they are. And, and there's a striped one that you've got is is stunning as well. I think they're, they're probably some of the most least spoken about, but two of the best for me. And again, like you said, some of the, the lesser spoken about ones, they're the ones I really enjoy seeing because I know, Tom, you've got, it's, it's purple. Is it Austria, Austria Vienna, is it, that one you have? I've seen you post that a couple of times. And I love it because it's just a, a shirt that you don't see and the colours and a, a team that's not often, you know, one that you scroll past. And I always see that when you post it and think that's such a good shirt and a good version of this template. Yeah, I I do like some of the more obscure thing and it doesn't feel right sort of saying obscure I think it's just more obscure in terms of the family of clubs and international teams that sort of sit within that template because you always think of Brazil Portugal Holland and then you know that Arsenal were into Milan Barcelona PSV etc but yeah some of the the lesser known ones so Stair Bucharesti they I can't get hold of never seen any of those come uh, on online or on eBay or in any seller sites and, and they're only plain red and plain blue with, I think it's 
red piping and white piping, but never see them. And there's that because I've never seen one. There's almost a little bit more clamour to sort of to sort of get one. If that makes sense, you sort of go. I've, I've been looking for them for last two, three, four years, but it's never come up. New Zealand's another one that very rarely comes up. There's one sat on eBay at the moment that's been on there for about 90 quid and hasn't shifted. So I'm thinking it might be priced a bit too high. And then there's others like our racing club long and 1860 Munich, um, who had them as well. And the, the green one that I have behind me is, um, the Hungarian side, uh, Ferenc Baros. I'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly, but they wore that T90 version in 05, 06, and then I think they even were wearing the T1906-07, but was just a plain green one, whilst the one behind me is striped. And so they're even harder to find. And also they weren't even used near. It's almost like it was the template itself got pushed out and then they just picked it up as like team wear, if that makes sense. But yeah, so there's little niche ones like that that are lying around. And every now and then there's a few that crop out that, I haven't seen another hard one to get that I've also never seen online is New York, New Jersey Metro stars. And there is a a black and red stripes. And I think that there's also, there's, I can't remember the away version, whether it's all black or red, it might be all black, but yeah, there's another Metro stars version of those. And I've never seen those come on. And I think if they do, they probably go for a few hundred. So if you, if you had a, a blank checkbook and you could go out and, well, not even a blank checkbook because you've got to find a shirt first, but if, <laughs> if you had a wish list, if you could just have one shirt appear in front of you, which which one would it be? I think I would love, I'd love to get hold of the South Korea box version. I think seeing Phil Dell's buy it on eBay for a very reasonable price has made me jealous. Um, but the, still the Inter Milan third feels like a bit of a pinnacle for me, but also very attainable because it does come around sort of every few months or so someone's either ship, shipping it on or one of the independents has managed to get hold of a version of it so that feels attainable i'd love to get hold of a match one like a long sleeve one that would be that would really grail at sort of territory but yeah i think that's probably a way off hey, one of the reasons also why i like collecting them and that i've jumped into it and i think we met such and earlier is that on the whole they're, they're quite attainable shirts to get like the majority of the collection that i've got if anybody wanted to start picking up t90s they could do and also not for a very expensive price so as part of the collecting i've tried to limit my budget to be around no more than 30 pounds i try to get it 20 to 25 pounds so the amount that i spent on my shirts over you know the, the, the i guess the last two years where it's really taken off I haven't spent huge amounts of money there's a couple that are a bit more like the box version and a couple others are a little bit rarer and that you're prepared to go a bit higher for but they don't cost an arm and a leg and i quite like that about it because i'm not flush with money but i like to collect and so i'd be a bit frivolous and you could pick some of these up for say 40 50 quid but for me part of the collecting and part of the going after the goals is it going after the shirts is is a part of the chase and actually it's about waiting for the right time and maybe seeing, you know, getting that snipe in the eBay auction for £15 or um, someone on Depop happens to be getting rid of theirs for like 20 and you're sort of, okay, right, well, I'll have a look at the tags, check out and all the rest of it. You know, it's, it's all of those little bits and someone's got one up for exchange on shirt exchange and I'm like, brilliant, I'll swap a brand new tags one for the, for the one you've got. I've picked up my, my normal Holland one that way. So, you know, for me, that's part of collecting is, is the chase and, and, and trying to get them down for something that's in the budget that you want and, and all of that. 
really see the appeal because I was giving yourself a box to operate in. You know, I'm collecting these T90s. You can collect international shirts. You can collect all these different club shirts, all these different colours and variations. So I, I think it's a really exciting place to to sort of hone your, your, your collection in on. And um, yeah, I love, I love seeing it pop up on my feed. I think another thing that's great about them, because I've touched on this on Twitter a few times before, is, is a matching home and away shirt template. I think that, you know, that is, it's amazing. And when, when you've got all of those together, like I've seen a few of your photos that you, you put on when they're all together, when you've got the home and away next to each other, and then you see the other ones all alongside with it, I, I think it, I think it looks amazing. I think a collection like that is incredible. And, and there are, I think there aren't many, even, even with the amount of templates we've had, there aren't many that have got as much variety within the template design as the T90s have. And some of them, as you say, are incredible. I think the one that sticks in my mind, you touched on it earlier, is the New Zealand away one. Because when you see it from a distance, it almost looks like a Man United away shirt. That's like the blue with the the red touches on it. And I think I've seen one person have one of them. But but yeah, just on the whole, I think they all look really good, to be fair. Yeah, I agree with that home away combo. It's really strong. The Viennas do it with the purple and the white. Holland, the orange and the white. You've got Belgium with the red and the black really distinctive and it really like cuts through i think morocco's the same with the green and the red again they're quite difficult to get hold of but look really striking when they're together and i think that's part of it and i think i think andy at forbidden shirts has made this point a couple of times when i post them on my t90s is that when he sees them individually he's not really that you know overawed by them it's a plain shirt with a bit of piping on it but when you start to see them as a collective you know a, a photo shop with um five or six of them or with the home and away alternatives then that's when they sort of come alive a little bit more and you can see them for a bit more of their glory in that yes there's lots of uniformity there but there's lots of different little touches and stuff that set each of them apart in their own ways too well andy like all bbb collectors you shouldn't really listen to them anyway because they're a special kind of people i've noticed on twitter just have to say tom as well uh we spoke about looking at these shirts as, as one collection and obviously you're probably a bit of a completist too. Will you be going for the Arsenal shirts in this template as a Man United fan? It's a brilliant question and one that I think I would delve into it if I get one at the right price. So my budget is even smaller for the Arsenal home and away shirts. They're iconic part of the template range and from Arsenal in a very iconic era where we were bitter rivals the thought of owning an arsenal shirt makes me sick if i'm honest but <laughs> me and you both <laughs> if <laughs> if I what's, what's your it, budget here because we want to make this happen what's your budget i don't think i would about let's say 15 to 20 quid ish if i can get it for less I would we want to see this we want to see this there's got to be somebody out there that's willing to sell their arsenal t90 to tom for 20 quid I'm going to make it my aim to find this now. <laughs> but we're just touching on that. I do think that like what you said about having a budget to get a collection like this is something that's really important as well because I think that we all see it on Twitter a little bit with everybody jumping in a little bit too quickly, spending a little bit too much money on shirts you know people have spoken openly about getting themselves into a bit of trouble on it so i think that what you touched on about having having a budget to work on something like this 
um, a lot of you know we we all get it. You know, people go into our DMs. Oh, how do you get a collection of so, so many shirts? And how do how do where do you pick all these up from? And the truth is, like like you touched on, it's about patience. You wouldn't have all of those behind you now in, in this this really amazing collection without the patience you've had to pick them up. And I think that's something that a lot of people can definitely listen to and try and pick up on as well. So Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure having you this week. If anybody that doesn't follow Tom and uh, the Shirt Union, do do give him a follow on Twitter. One of the best accounts around. So Tom, pleasure having you. And we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Confessions of a Kit Man. 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 So this week's story, it's New Year's Eve. A couple of years back when we were playing Plymouth on New Year's Day. Uh, we're at the hotel. We've gone down to the bar. We've had a couple of drinks. We've played a little quiz with all the other staff. Me and Jonah are obviously sharing room. We've got a drink or two, taking them back up to the room. And we get up there and we realise that our door's slightly ajar. So we're thinking, well, hang on a minute. Did you leave it open or did I? We open the door and everything in the room is upside down. So the bed's up against the wall. The TV's upside down. There's a chair upside down. My bedding's in the shower and the towels are in on the bed. Um, all sorts of things were, were just completely upside down and... We were like, hang on a minute, there must be somebody in here. Nobody in there. Yeah, so we then go back out into the corridor and we see two players sneaking around the corner at the bottom of the corridor. And that was their little New Year's present to us, was to go in our room and turn it upside down. The, the real mystery is how they got in our room. So we think potentially the auto-closing feature on the door wasn't working. So we've left the room and it hasn't shut properly and they've seen it and just decided to get in there and uh, and turn some stuff upside down. So that was fun. So yeah, that's that's this week's story. Shouldn't really do that to the men that are going to dress them the next day. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We got them back. It's fine. Well, we want more about that story. Okay. We have a little bucket and water trick where you take the bin from the hotel room, you fill it just a little bit with water, just lean it on the door slightly so that when they open the door the water goes all over their feet so yeah we we prop this little uh, bucket up we knock on the door we walk away and hide around a corner and just watch or if they're in the room opposite like we had this season uh, we watch through the little peephole and the water goes all over their feet they've got no idea where it's come from it's a beautiful thing we're just hoping the physio isn't listening (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's a beautiful thing it's good fun sort of thing that escalates yeah oh yeah yeah because then they try and get you back but you know it's all good banter it's fine it's fine we look after them they look after us it's all fun well it works you got a win that day as well yeah big win exactly that yeah did didn't we that was a good day out This week's Shirt 101 nomination comes from Phil Dells on Twitter. Hey guys, I'd like to nominate the terrible false narratives that brands attach to shirts. By that, I mean the stories that brands manufacture when they're trying to justify or explain a shirt's design. I think of something like the recent Ireland shirt, the Republic of Ireland home shirt, which had a pattern that was described as representing the fields of Ireland's countryside. But it just looks like a generic sort of camo pattern. I mean, if your fields look like that, you've got some serious problems. Or you can look at something like Chelsea's third chair, which we've not seen much this season. But the story behind that one was that the design was reflective of a modern era for the club, characterised by youthful energy 
and everything that represents. But again, that pattern is very generic. There's very little about that design which speaks to that story. And it just so often seems like brands will design these shirts and then try and force in a story, crowbar in some sort of narrative. I would rather brands just release the shirt without these kind of narratives. If you think it looks cool, if you've designed a shirt because you just think it looks good, that's fine. I'd rather that than saying something like, the colourway of this shirt was inspired by the orange puffer jacket that one of our fans wore in an away game to Stoke in 1996. Something like that just really winds me up. And just quickly as well, you see it with template shirts as well. When you've got a template shirt with the same pattern as 10 other teams, but you see some sort of terrible story about how the pattern was chosen and created because of something to do with the club. It wasn't. It was chosen out of a catalogue and then you forced a narrative onto it. That's my nomination for Room 101. Really looking forward to hearing what you guys think. So who wants to kick us off with that then? So I kind of agree with Phil. I think a lot of the guff is completely unnecessary and it's kind of like, who the hell are they trying to kid with with some of these things? But a big part of me is also like, I like it. I want to see how far they, they can push it. Do you know what I mean? Like, just make it more and more elaborate every time. Just complete bollocks even. But people would lap it up. Do you know what I mean? I think that they should push it even further and go crazy with their, with their reasons for why a shirt is is brown and say it's because it's the colour of Andre Arshavin's Veruca or something. Do you know what I mean? Inspired by. Let's go all out. Let's just go full on crazy for it. it it's, it's difficult. I, I, I do get the, that some of it is a little bit far-fetched, but at the same time, I think if you're getting rid of some of the the slightly exaggerated stories, you're getting rid of everything that, that kind of comes along with it. And whilst I think there is a lot of false narrative that goes with it, at the same time, I think maybe even some of them that we see as false narrative could actually just be us not necessarily understanding the mind of a designer that does it as well. Um, but also there are a lot of shirts that that do have that narrative that go with it. So I'd be worried by getting rid of the false narrative, we're also getting rid of the ones that truly are inspired by previous shirts, history of the club, the fans, the culture, everything that goes around it. Uh, for me, I'm thinking, first off, obviously it's a commercial thing uh, to try and sell more shirts to the fans of that club and I think if it's a genuine narrative and I think if like for example is to commemorate a season gone by where the club had good success then I think I think that's a good thing I quite like that obviously if they you know start clutching at straws and looking at fields colours and stuff then that seems a bit seems a bit crazy but no I, I quite like the narrative on a shirt to be honest I think again as mentioned before I think the story behind the shirt sometimes makes it Absolutely. I think we should see more and more of it. Like I said, I just wanted to see them really see how far they can push it. I want a, a Tottenham third shirt that's like dusky, dusty, like brown and say it's inspired by their empty trophy cabinet. I want full go as crazy as they could go with it. I'd love it. Or an Oxford United shirt that's got a sleeve missing to represent the stand missing at the stadium. I mean, I was going to say it, but, you know, it's better than you did. Let's have a little vote on this then. So, Room 101, shirt narratives. I am going to go with, I've listened to you all, I am going to put the stupid ones in Room 101, but I do like the stories. So, um, yeah, I'm going to, actually, I'm not, I'm going to sit on the fence, aren't I? Right, Mike, in or out? I'm not going to put it in because through through fear of A, losing the genuine ones and B, as Tom touched on, I hadn't thought of it, the more elaborate they get, the more amusing they are. Steve, 
Uh, no, I'm not putting it. I like it. I think it makes the shot. Tom, what would you have said? Yeah, you, you know the the boring ones. I get it, like pointless. But I'm all for the crazy, the crazy stories and crazy reasons. So it can't go in. Well, there we have it. I think we should continue to mock them when they don't make sense. But for the time being, we'll allow them so that we can have that conversation and those discussion points.